mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Putting in Work. This is number 19, and it's kind of a weird one because I'm here to talk about myself. The interviewer will become the interviewee. Don't usually go into too much of my own creative projects on this podcast, but this week is pretty significant to me, and I was hoping that you guys wouldn't mind me sharing something of myself with you instead of delving into the lives and uh, career arcs and creative works of others. So today is the international release day for my novel, The Spy and the Maven, which I've been working on for about a year now. So started writing this book a year ago, been through a kind of crowdfunding phase where I asked people to pre-order the book, and from there, with huge support from family and friends, as well as the kind of funny online community, I was able to uh, raise enough money to be queried to publishers and ended up self-publishing. That's all happened, all the pre-orders have gone out, and now it's available to the public uh, for online order. But rather than sit here and talk by myself, I thought I'd bring in a special guest, my friend Jack Cruz. We've just been to San Francisco together, and he's actually seen some of that hard work in terms of me handing out copies and mailing about 50 of them at the post office in the States to get them to international uh, pre-order supporters. But Jack is also part of that uh, kind of funny community that I mentioned who was so instrumental in me getting across the line in terms of that crowdfunding effort. I had to sell 250 copies and... Jack was one of the first hundred or so people who did that, and I'd never met him at the time, but that's the nature of the kind of funny community is they support each other, we support each other's projects. So Jack's part of the other podcasts I work on in the Explosion Network, we do a bunch of different shows. He also has a YouTube channel, Cruzy Mate, K-R-U-S-E-Y, check him out, and here he is. He's going to hopefully make this a little bit less awkward. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to a very special episode of Putting In Work. I will be your special guest host for this week. If you didn't know, my name is Jack Cruz, and I'll be speaking to journalist, author, podcast host, and all-round good guy. You might know him from this podcast. His name is Jono Peck. Jono, how are you going? I'm great, Jack. It's a pleasure to be in your hands. It is always a pleasure to be, <laughs> to be in your hands. Um, first of all, Jono, thank you for the opportunity to do this with you, to to host your show for a week and, and have a chat to you. And mm. So, Jono, I want to start from the primordial. Yeah. I'm gonna get, we're going to get we're going to get deep on this. What inspired you to start writing in the first place? Because obviously you're you're a, you were a journalist uh-huh. um, out of uh, university, and and you did that for for many years. Were you always planning on being a writer? Or was it to write books? Did you always want to be a journalist? What, give us a bit of a, a background on how you got started. So yes, I studied to be a journalist. I did that for about seven years, and in those first few years, I actually did start writing a book when I was just out of uni. It was like a bit of a chronicle of my time living on campus and some of the crazy stories that happened with my mates in my last year at uni. And I didn't know anything about writing a book and I still kind of don't know (laughs) that much about it apart from having done it. Uh, But it turned into just this massive, long manuscript of stories with no kind of backbone, no story arc. And there was because of that, there was no plan, there was no ending and I just never finished it. Was it sort of like a book of short stories or is that how you were sort of attacking it or was uh, it meant to be like a connecting? Yeah, it was like here's a day 
like here's what happened this day here's what happened like a week later and it was kind of like it, mm-hmm. it was kind of like each chapter was like a tv episode i didn't really okay form it it wasn't well formed it was just mm-hmm. i i enjoyed writing it and it was a good exercise i guess and kind of a precursor to knowing that this time around i had to have a, a plot in mind i had to know where it was going so to answer the original question after that experience i didn't think i would write a book but Moving to Geelong about, uh, you know, the start of last year, I was doing a job in a political office and it wasn't as creative as the work I'd done previously as a journo because I used to get to host a podcast and do stupid stuff like pitch movie ideas. And that uh, is actually the genesis of the story for The Spy and the Maven. I came up with a plot based off a internet randomly generated movie title, which was The Stealth Gene. And I came up with this <laughs> idea and... About a year later, I was emailing my former co-host and said, hey, I've actually fleshed this out. What do you think? And he said, yeah, spy uh, thrillers are a pretty big book market. Maybe you should turn it into a book. And that was kind of how I started to nut that out. So what was the plan originally? The plan was for it to be a movie or what was you started to flesh out the idea? Yeah, like when I, like when I for some reason, one day decided hmm, I'm going to develop that a bit further. It was like, wouldn't this be a cool movie? And film and editing and and that kind of stuff has always mm-hmm. been a big interest of mine. And I would have to be honest to say, like, this is something that I've, I wrote hoping ideal world that it could become a movie because that would be awesome. Movies are great. I, I'm much more into film and, and TV shows than I am into reading books. Mm. Interesting. Which is probably unusual for an author to admit that, but it's true. And video games, obviously. But mm-hmm. I didn't know the first thing about how to get a movie made. And I still don't. But I knew that mm. if I could write a book, because I'd heard of these crowdfunding things like Publishers and Ink Shares, I think Gary Witter had talked about it on Game Over Greggy Show. Uh, I knew I could get 250 people to buy a book, and that's kind of the path I went down. Okay. I mean, obviously, you're a, you're a writer by trade. As, as a journalist, mm. that was sort of what you studied in school. And did, we, was the plan for you to always be a writer, or was the plan to do movies, or what was the... When you went into your degree, which mm. what exactly did you study? What was the... Yeah, I studied a Bachelor of Arts with majors in media communications and journalism. And okay. the, yeah, the goal was to be a journalist because mm-hmm. it's, it seemed like the most viable writing career option at the time. Yep. Uh, which is kind of funny to think about now with the way journalism is shrinking so quickly. Mm. Like writing's a, a professional skill that can be applied to so many areas, which I didn't... like. When you're 18 and looking at what to study, you don't really know what there is in terms of careers that mm. come out of certain degrees. Yeah. But I knew that like going down the path of I'm going to be a TV writer or I'm going to write movies, like to me that being, a, a, I guess, a realist, I never thought that would be something that I would make a living out of. And I guess having written a book now, it's the first step to tr- at least trying to do that it's still something i'd love to do but i'm still a realist and i'm not expecting to you know make a living from this but if i can do it on the side and and uh, create stories that people enjoy that's pretty cool i think Hmm. so the book itself how did it start you randomly generated words or what what was where was the how did what was the inception of the book? How did it start? Because it sounds to it sounds to me like it was just sort of a random thing that popped into yeah. your head and and you just sort of ran with it. Yeah, it was. Like I said, it was we we were doing this podcast um back at the newspaper I used to work at, the Standard in Warrnambool, 
and it was how to pitch a movie. That was the topic. Mm-hmm. So I I just went into Google and searched for a uh, movie title generator, and one of the ones that came up was the stealth gene. And I thought, okay, what can I think of that can stem from that? So I came up with this idea, and it kind of just just yeah just grew in my mind. And but at that point, it was very like relying heavily on tropes and cliches because mm-hmm. it was being pitched in a podcast. Mm-hmm. But but then as I thought about it, you know, six months or a year later, I started to kind of piece it together in a little bit more depth and thinking about, oh, here's, you know, I could put a really cool twist here and I never had an ending, but that was kind of something that came as I was sitting at the computer. Okay. What what were your big inspirations for the book? So obviously the you know that genre, the spy mm. and the espionage, the spy thriller sort of genre yeah. is something that interests you. But what what were your main inspirations for the the themes of the book? I'd have to say that uh, Metal Gear Solid the video game was a really mm. big influence, just because it's I've always loved it as a story, uh, as you know from talking about it on our uh, PlayStation podcast, Platinum Explosion, mm-hmm. out every Monday, Tuesday, whatever it is. Uh, and yeah, just like kind of the, the levels of, you know, conspiracy and the influence of government on, uh, espionage and, you know, the twists and the, some of the crazy characters that you get in those stories was a big influence, but I wanted to do it in a way that was a bit more grounded and the TV series Chuck was another one. And people have commented on the visual style of the cover, having a bit of influence from Chuck and. Some of the dynamics of the characters are similar in that, you know, you've got the experienced secret agent working with the very underqualified protagonist in mm-hmm. uh, my book as Andrew Maven, who's mm-hmm. a journalist, not a spy. Uh, so it's kind of that fish out of water trope that um, I I always find really fun to uh, to watch when you can relate to that person. And it was really fun to write as well. Mm. Okay. So as far as the the content of the book, I've I've read about half the book myself and obviously being a part of the kind of funny community, um if the listeners out there aren't aware of what the kind of funny community is, it's four, sometimes five best friends gather around a table. They're basically a YouTube group of guys who um produce mm-hmm. a whole lot of content and and have done for quite a while and there's quite a lot of uh, throwbacks and in jokes and things like that that relate back to that content. Um, things the guys say, yep. people's names, um, stuff like that. What was the thinking behind including all those sorts of things, a little Easter eggs yep. and that in the book? I always like to put Easter eggs into things, even like there's people's names in that book who are friends of mine, and there's little references like you know, a radio frequency in the book is the local Triple J station and back in Warrnambool so there's a lot of like little things like that but I knew because I was crowdfunding that I I wanted to appeal to the kind of funny community and I thought a great way to do that would to actually have a lot of kind of funny references Uh, and that's been something that a lot of people have commented on that they've really enjoyed reading them getting a chuckle as they go Uh, and and you know it's something that was hard to kind of balance because you didn't want them to be so many that it would people off who didn't understand them like but i think a lot like my wife doesn't follow kind of funny and they all Mm. went over her head but they didn't also take anything away so i feel like i have managed to do that in an okay way some people like from the start said from reading sample chapters that 
they thought it was a bit much. And also the perks that I had in the crowdfunding were all kind of funny based. You know, there was best friend and producer slash seducer mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But, you know, it was just something that I wanted to do. And uh, I think that if if some people like it, and some people don't like it. That's also just part of how these things work as well. And that's been something that's one of the hard things about putting the book out is just accepting that some people won't like certain things. Mm, well, you it's, can't please it's everyone. It's very... Yeah, and because it's such a personal thing to create something to be judged specifically. Like when mm. you write a news article or make a podcast or something, it's very much following i guess like to an extent a formula mm-hmm. and you've you've either achieved what you were trying to do or you haven't but with a book and being you know you're trying to make people laugh you're trying to tell a story there's a lot of room for people to either get what you're doing or not and that's like kind of just releasing it into the wild is kind of a nerve-wracking thing but i'm glad that a lot of people have come back with a positive reception so far yeah no doubt no i've enjoyed what i've read so far what um how long did it take you to write the book so the actual writing of the book was almost the easiest part of it it was only three or four months and then you know that was writing almost every day writing it on the bus writing it on my phone on my lunch break when i'm walking around town just little ideas that i'd get here and there because it was, it's when you're writing a book, it's always on your mind. Like it just takes over. Mm-hmm. And I would be like, I would be sitting in church listening to the, you know, the message, and the, you know, the guy up on stage would say something, and I'd think, oh, that's a, that's actually a cool little point <laughs> or a, a good little illustration, and I'd write it down on my phone, and Hannah would give me a nudge and say, "What are you doing?" And I'd say, just, <laughs> "It's uh, blasphemy." Don't, 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 don't worry about me. <laughs> it's all for the greater good. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like the, the writing itself was at the time it's everything, but then once it's finished, you realize that it's just kind of the first step, and that you know the marketing and the getting like the crowdfunding thing was such a massive part of it. Hmm. And even after that, I still had all the publishing to get through, and yeah. So, talk to me a little bit about that. That you know, going down the crowdfunding route was that always yeah. the plan, or did you did you start writing this book and think I'll go to a, to publishers and try and sell it to them, or what was what was the thinking behind going with Publishizer? Yeah. So, as I mentioned before, being a realist, I had very little expectation that I could just rock up to a publisher and have any success. I think I, I used to know the stat because I was quoting it to people when I was promoting it, but. Something like 92%, something crazy of queries to publishers just get rejected on the spot. And mm-hmm. it's not an easy market to break into because it's such like you can't just look at a book and a manuscript and know whether it's good or not. It takes a lot of time for people to go through it. And for that reason, publishers are more likely to go with established authors or people who have um, a reputation as someone that people are going to read their book, someone that's been writing crime news stories for 20 years and then they start to write a, a, a crime thriller or something. So Yeah, so they've already got a name. Yeah, and um, being a 20... Uh, I can't remember how old I am. 27-year-old... Uh, <laughs> 28-year-old journal, former journalist at the time, I knew that wasn't quite enough for me to just rock up to... Pan Macmillan or whatever with a manuscript, uh, but I did know that with the 
kind of funny community and my personal just network of friends and my really supportive family that I could sell those 250 copies required to get it in front of the eyes of these publishers. And if those publishers were to take it up, that was great. And if they, they weren't interested or if we couldn't come to an agreement on you know the way that they try and split the contracts and everything, I could just take that money that people had invested in me and self-publish, which is what I ended up doing. So yeah, it was very much part of the plan from the start. So talk to me a little bit about the process with Publishizer. Mm. What are the quotas? What are the goals? What are the things that you have to hit to to get the the book published? So you have to sell 250 copies and generally they... Is that across every book? Like every person that uses Publishizer has to have 250 copies sold or how how do they get to that number? I think they're kind of changing it all the time. Like it's probably even changed since I did my campaign. And I know that like at the time you couldn't include eBooks in that, but I think that may have changed too. But the idea for them is that if you can sell 250, that's enough of an indication that you have a network of supporters, that it's a story people believe in and that publishers should spend their time to consider Mm. the, the manuscript. So that's the one that I went with. And there's other ones like Ink Shares, which I mentioned Gary Witter published a book through, where once you hit the target, they actually publish it for you. But with Publisher... For those, for those, sorry, for those that don't know, Gary Witter wrote Rogue One. Yes. And he, he also wrote Book of Eli. Yeah. Legit, dude. So, yeah. It, so, someone like him even went to crowdfunded publishing instead of to a publisher. So, you know, it's not easy to publish a book and there was people like using publishizer the guy who wrote land before time the dinosaur cartoon was using publishizer at the same time as me yeah, so right. it's a yeah it's a it's a you know increasingly popular format of getting something out there if you don't have a publisher behind you which most authors don't so so what what happens once you get the 250 they start spruiking you to publishers they've got a foot in the door is that sort of how it works they become sort of like your publicist almost Yeah so publishizer kind of acts like your agent usually you you secure an agent and that agent will pitch you to publishers but publishizer takes a cut of the the money they take like a flat rate or a percentage depending on how much money you raise and then they will pitch the book to the different publishers that they partner with and from there either they'll say yep we're interested let's start a negotiation about whether we want to work together or they'll say no I'm not interested and that means that you are looking at a lot of service publishers which are are ones who take less royalties than a straight up royalty publisher like a royalty publisher will take i don't know 90 percent 95 percent of the of the royalties and they'll take care of everything for you marketing editing layout design and and everything whereas the service publisher you're actually paying them to do those things Mm -hmm. so they'll say put down twelve thousand bucks and we'll do all that stuff for you and you get all the proceeds proceeds of the book uh well it's not it's not even that it's it's you'll get 35 percent or something which still felt like pretty steep to me and that was the reason why I did self-publish because I didn't have I didn't feel any guarantee that what they would do for me would be significantly better than what I could do myself so I took Mm -hmm. on a lot of extra work there and I mean the the benefit of going with a publisher like that is they is distribution like they'll get you into a bookshop Mm -hmm. and that was one of the kind of uh, I guess 
dreams of mine originally was oh, I would be awesome to have my book in a bookshop. You mm. know, you're at the airport, you walk in there and there's your book, mm. you know, in another country or, or something like that. That'd be really cool. But once I, it dawned on me of, you know, how difficult it is to work with that kind of publisher, I thought, oh, I can let that dream go and just yeah. you know, <laughs> focus on getting the book out and... Mm. You know, people don't people don't go to bookshops anymore. <laughs> yeah, that that is true. So we we talked a bit about the kind of funny community and that being a big basis of the book being able to get the two hundred fifty in the publishing. What mm. what role did the community play as far as if you're comfortable talking about the percentage? Like, yeah. what obviously you would have had friends and family who would have contributed, but what percentage of that community would have purchased the book of the two hundred fifty? Yeah, being- so I ended up with two hundred and eighty four five copies sold on Publishizer and a few more since then just outside. But I would guess that more than a hundred copies would have been purchased by these people who I'd never met, which is pretty amazing. Mm. You know, like I said, I couldn't have done it without that community and that's why I wanted to make them a part of the story, kind of as a homage. And not just that, but Greg and Colin from kind of Colin formerly from Kind of Funny were a big inspiration for me to actually do it because they famously quit their jobs at IGN to start their own company and do their own thing. And I guess it's that spirit of, you know, getting out there and just doing what you want to do that did inspire me to say, I can do this. And the community that they built around them that they knew would support them, I knew that they would support me as well. Mm, Yeah, okay. What's the plan going forward? Obviously, you've, you've sold your 280 copies, you've, you've self-published, you've got the book printed, you've, you've mailed it out, you carried however many copies with you, <laughs> suitcases over to so America, and, like posted them out from the bloody yeah. post office in San Francisco. What's, what's the next step? So, the book's for sale on Amazon. Is, is, it, is the plan for it to get picked up to go into a bookshop? Is that a possibility or do you need to be with a publisher for that or is it just mm. to hope that people will find it through searching and Amazon and that kind of thing? How how does this book continue to thrive and, and sell for you? What's the next yeah. step? So, I guess I should say just getting the book out there to the people that pre-ordered it in itself is an amazing feeling and like if that was all that happened and not another person bought my book i would be happy because they're the ones that believed in me and were interested and and they put the money down you know months in like months i'm talking like in Mm. september last year they put the money down back then because they believed in me and that means so much to me uh so just to have them get the book and enjoy it is is huge but from here i suppose that you know it is available to the public and if people come across it online or if they get, you know, recommendations from, you know, people like yourself or anyone else, like it's, I've had a pretty big emphasis on, I guess, the social media aspect of marketing it and just, you know, spreading the word, telling a friend, people, some people bought multiple copies, so I guess they'll hand them out mm-hmm. to their friends and getting Amazon reviews and all that kind of thing helps a lot, apparently. So, I'm just going to be trying to encourage readers who've enjoyed it to do that and hope that, you know, the algorithms of the internet take over and can, you know, it'll pop up on, we recommend for you this book and hopefully someone with uh, influence will see it. Maybe Mm. the Max Landis's of the world will (laughs) check it out and do that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's really, I guess that's a best case scenario at the moment but if you know if it sells another couple hundred copies 
that's it. Like, oh, I haven't got any fees at the moment apart from what I've spent and what I'm going to put into marketing. So mm-hmm. I'm winning already. <laughs> so you, yeah, no doubt. Um, you spoke about the, you know, the, the amazing feeling you would have been happy just having sold it and the people who purchased it and getting into their hands. What was the feeling when the book, when you got the first copy and it was in your hands and it was realized and you felt it and you had the physical pages in your hands with the cover and everything? What was that feeling? That was the best, man. Like to have so many months of hard work actually turn into something tangible was something that I'll never forget because I've, you know, I guess I've been creating things for as long as I've been uh, professional, you know, newspapers, videos, podcasts, whatever, but it's never anything that you can hold in your hand. And a newspaper you can hold in your hand, but, you know, tomorrow it's it's in the trash or it's people are using it to clean windows. So it doesn't, like, it doesn't live forever. And that's mm. what I like about the idea of a book, whether or not my book becomes trash as well in, in 20 <laughs> years, I don't know. But, you know, in theory, it's going to be on someone's bookshelf until they decide to clean out their bookshelf or their children might inherit their book collection and my future kids will have a copy of my book and they'll be able to say you know dad wrote this when he was you know before we were born and that kind of thing so Mm. that was really cool to get the book in my hand and say that this is what I've been working on and this is what we built together because of you know all the help from the community it was it was a really cool thing and to hand like to in the same vein to actually you know, as I did with you, to give you the copy of the book mm. and say, Here, here's your book, you were part of, of this as well. Like, that was a really special thing. And that was something I loved about, you know, our trip to uh, San Francisco, just being able to to meet people who had believed in me and do that for me. It's mm. something I'll always be grateful for. No doubt, no doubt. What was the biggest challenge in the whole process? What was the hardest part? Was there ever a part where you thought, I'm not going to be able to do this. This isn't going to work. Or did you, you know, did you ever get halfway through the book and and think I hit a roadblock and stop? Or what? What was the big? What was the biggest challenge for you? And and how did you overcome that? The the hardest part of it was probably everything that happened after it was finished. Like, the, almost every every phase of the book had its own hardest part. But to start with, there was like this may come as a surprise because I'm I'm kind of a master of self promotion now, but <laughs> humbling myself to say I need help to get this yeah. published that wasn't easy for me. And I've once I made the decision to put myself out there and say, please buy my book, like please support this book. I you know it's really important to me, and I can't do it without help. Like once I made the decision to do that, I just committed to it and. As you know from being in the Facebook group, didn't I would, I would bring it up any chance I could, mm. uh, and to kind of allow yourself to be viewed in as someone that's just trying to leech off people—that's a hard thing to come to terms with. But I, I just had to kind of hope that people would see that it was a genuine kind of thing and not like trying to take advantage of people. And did anyone you know, I, did I, anyone ever say that to? Did anyone ever confront you and say, you know, you? You're taking advantage of these people's kindness or anything like that, or no, not not in the, like not like that. Like it's it was like it's something that just kind of hangs in the back of your head that people yeah. might there might be people who remain silent that think that way. No one ever said anything other than maybe a joke, like oh, here's Jono again pimping his book. Mm. Um, 
but you know, I can I can handle that. That's fine. Yeah, um, that's just banter. But yeah, it's just banter. And I mean, so that that was that was a thing that I had to kind of adjust to in you know becoming the guy that's trying to do something. And you know, when you try to do something, you can fail. And doing a crowdfunding campaign in itself is something where you're setting yourself up to either succeed or fail and it can go either way. So that was a, a big thing. And uh, I guess since then, the, the, the hardest part was just not knowing how these things work because, mm. you know, I'd get into negotiations with a publisher and then they'd, you know, make their offer and I'd look at it and I'd be really disappointed with what it was and then I'd be back to square one. And you're trying to communicate it back with the people who've invested into the book because they need to feel part of the process. They have literally invested in you and you want them to feel like you're not just taking their money and running. And mm. it was disappointing to me because I knew that people, no one ever put pressure on me like, hurry up, Jono, what are you doing? But I did feel mm. like I need to actually move this ahead. And that was kind of... You a, to a, deliver now. Yeah, it was kind of a constant thing yeah. of trying to balance do I take this offer because it's here now or do I do this one that will extend the wait by six months because that's how long it takes. And I eventually did make the decision to do all the layout myself to have my dad, who's a newspaper former newspaper editor, to act as the editor of the book, uh, which I'm really thankful to have him and you know the other people that read it for me to help out with some of that editing. And... Just the actual delivering of the books in itself was something I didn't consider. That was a massive <laughs> effort. Like my house was, my kitchen was overtaken with books for a month. And like, did you ever think about doing like the the snow angel in the books? Yeah. <laughs> I would <laughs> taking a dive. Yeah, I, I could have, but I, I probably would have damaged them. I would have been more concerned about mm. that. Uh, but mm. yeah, just having like two hundred and eighty books in your house and sorting out which the okay these ones are going to america these ones are going to europe these ones i can deliver in geelong these ones are for mum and dad to deliver in warnable it's like trying to make sure people get their paperbacks get, people get their hardcovers it, it's it's just a lot it is a lot of work and i'm glad mm. i'm glad that i did it myself because it's really rewarding to look back at you know what i've managed to do but yeah i think book number two i will do it a little bit more simply. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, keep it simple. Yeah. Uh, do you have any advice for anyone in a similar position thinking about writing a book or someone who started writing a book or, you know, may, maybe it's in the pipeline, maybe it's something they've dreamt of doing. Have you got anything that you've mm. any words of wisdom to pass on? Yeah, it's, it's probably a cliche, but cliches are inevitably true. And I would just say do it because it's so easy to start something and it's, the harder part is to just push through with it and know that you're going to finish it. So if you can get to the point where you know what your end is and you can consistently work towards it to make sure you get it done, I think that's probably the most important thing. And, you know, if you do decide to go down the crowdfunding path, just put yourself out there, be honest and be genuine and let people know why you did it, what it means to you. And I think that if you're in a, in a community like I've been in, then they will get behind you and they'll want to see you succeed. Like I have people who 
I would probably just call them acquaintances, people who I went to uni with that I haven't spoken to for years and they've just said, yep, I'll buy your book. And I was like shocked by that because there's people who, and I don't, I don't fault them at all in any way, but people who are good friends of mine who haven't bought the book and, you know, maybe they just don't read or maybe they, you know, didn't have the extra money. And I don't begrudge anyone for, for not supporting it, but to have people who literally just wanted to see someone they knew achieve their dream of publishing a book was pretty special. So I think if you just put yourself out there and put in the hard work, then that's probably my, my best advice. Mm-hmm. And in closing, uh, mm. I know that uh, this is a very unique question that I don't think anyone's ever asked anyone before on a podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> John, what would you do if you knew that you couldn't fail? Hmm. What would you do? That's what people always say when I ask this. They repeat the question because they've never heard it before. It's uh, it's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I would keep doing this, and I would make money off it, and I would just sit at home in my trackies and write books all the time. That's really what I would do. Uh, and maybe I would even write movies because that's. I mean, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, people who write movies seem to be fairly depressed that the movies don't come out the way they write them. So maybe, maybe I would just stick books. with books. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. Good call. Yeah. Um, I uh, thank you so much again for giving me the opportunity to talk to you about your book. Uh, it's a fantastic feat that you've done. It's something you should be very proud of. Um, I know I'm proud of you. Your family's proud of you. The whole community got behind you and um, you've done a fantastic thing and accomplished something really special by being able to get this book out. So uh, just one last question. When can we expect a sequel? When is the next book by author John O'Peck mm. going to be in our hot little hands? The ideas for the next book are developing every day. They keep changing. I keep trying to come up with something. Like I said, you need to have your full story, I think. I do anyway before... I start on something. Uh, I have got a lot of notes taken, but I kind of want to make sure I've pushed this one out there as much as possible before I start work on the next one. So give it a few months at least and we'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. And Jack, before we sign off, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at cruzy underscore mate which will remain that way forever. <laughs> and you can find me on YouTube. Uh, I do a video journal, uh, which is Cruzy Mate. It's spelled K-R-U-S-E-Y-M-A-T-E. So go and check that out. Mm, Jono so- is at Jono himself on yes, Twitter. I am indeed. The Spy and-, and the Maven is at Spy and the Maven. That's right, on Twitter. We're all over the place. And this is putting in the work pod. <laughs> no, putting in work no, pod. Not. <laughs> I, did, I didn't mean you to do that dog. I did not mean to do that I swear to God uh, and you can find both of us together on the Explosion Network uh, at Explosion Pod we do a bunch of uh, shows with uh, some of our mates from the Kind of Funny community yeah, check it out until next week keep putting in work beyond beyond <laughs> <laughs>